Just Katie's doing great. That's all we need. If Katie's good, we're good. All right, so we're continuing through Romans, right? We're going to keep trucking our way through this. We'll probably be in this through January at least. But we are in a uh, shorter passage tonight. But I just want to remind you guys where we've been so far in Romans and specifically where we're at. Paul in Romans 12 started a new section in the letter to the Romans, and he's unpacking what it means to be a Christian in everyday life, what it's going to look like in your everyday life. So that that began a new section for Paul. He explained the gospel with a lot of rich detail, and then in chapter 12, he's going to explain that the gospel is not simply a decision you make, it's not simply a belief you have, it's not something you simply know about, it's not something you simply sing about, read about, teach about. The gospel changes your life. The gospel is a way of life. If all you have is a decision for Christ and you don't have a delight in Christ, then you do not have Christ, right? The gospel is not simply something you know about, it's a way of life. It changes every part of you. And that's what Paul talks about right in Uh, the beginning of chapter 12. He summarizes it and says, look, if you're a Christian, then your everyday life will be totally dedicated to God. Every, Every part of your life would be dedicated to God. All of your life would be worship, and that's the opening. And then he goes into some specifics that we talked about last week, right? Not only is it just totally dedicated to God, he gives us some specific for those things of what it would look like. And number one is the everyday life of a Christian will be committed to community. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you will not be alone. God did not save you as an individual. He saved you as a part of a body, as a part of a church. And because of that, you are called to be in that community and to use what he's given as a spiritual gift. So you have been given a unique gift that other people in this room need to be encouraged by. Every single person, not just musicians, not just people who can teach, every person in this room has a gift, a unique gift that God's given for you to encourage everyone else in this room, to stir them up in love. Also, you'll be devoted to love and goodness. That will be your devotion. Paul says, if you are a Christian who's totally dedicated to the gospel, you'll you'll be devoted to love and goodness. And he's kind of going to talk more about that in the passages that we're in tonight. But is that, I mean, ask yourself, are you devoted to love and goodness? Are you devoted to yourself? Are you devoted to um, continuing to serve others and to good ongoings with your friends? It's a really proper way to say, I'm I'm devoted to good ongoings with my friends. Uh, Yeah. Anyway. Three, you will not pay back evil for evil. You'll actually love your enemies. Radical, radical living. Right? Number four, which we talked about last week. If you're a Christian who's following after Christ, you will submit to governing authorities. Not only the government, but other authorities that have been appointed in your life. If you love Jesus, you're following after Jesus, your everyday life will be marked by submission. You will not be a rebel. You will recognize God's appointed earthly authorities in your life and that your submission to your parents, your teachers, to policemen, to coaches... These things reflect your submission to God. And so that brings us to a fifth characteristic that Paul's going to give to us in Romans 13, 8 through 10. It's five. Number five. An everyday Christian 
will fulfill the law through love. Fulfill the law through love. This will be an interesting one that we dive into, but this is what Paul says. If you are a Christian who is totally dedicated to God, if the gospel has totally wrecked your life and in your heart of hearts, Jesus Christ is your Lord, then you will fulfill the law through love. So let's go to the text here. Romans 13, 8 through 10. This is where we get this characteristic. Everyone tracking? Everyone good? All right, the text for tonight. Paul says, Owe nothing, owe nothing to anyone except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not... um, Commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So we're going to unpack that. We're going to talk about what Paul is saying, what he's teaching. We're going to make some clarifications, and then I'm going to give you guys some application. And I'll try not to go super, super fast, but I promise we're going to hit on what this means and then we're going to apply it to our life. Let me pray for us and then we'll dive in. God, we've just heard your word. We've heard what it has to say and Lord, we trust it. We know that there doesn't have to be some fancy maneuvering, some manipulation for us to get application from this text. We know that your teaching is sufficient and that if we simply dig in to your word and what it has, that you will use it to make us more and more like Jesus. And so God, may that be our heart's desire this evening, that we would be more and more like Jesus. And may this text, your word, have a part in that process. So God, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to break this passage up into, into three things, okay? Make it easy. It's just It's uh, 8, 9, and 10, so three verses, and there's three things here. There's the command that Paul gives, there's the reason Paul gives it, and there's the proof of that reason. Is there a song playing? There's a we on in the room? Okay. I have very attuned ears. I'm trained to hear crying babies in the night. My, my wife will tell you that's not true. I can actually ignore crying babies really well. It's a, that's a developed skill. Listen, men, when you get older, you're going to have to train yourself into blocking out noises in order to get sleep. That door's locked. It's fine. Anyway, so um, getting back to Jesus in the Bible. There's three things in this text that we're going to look at. The command that Paul gives, the reason that he gives for that command, and the proof He actually proves why his reason is sufficient. So what the command is, right off the top, he says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. Owe no one anything except to love each other. Now, some of the wording of that is weird, right? It's like, what do you mean I owe people things? You have to realize the context, right? Paul was just talking about the government and taxes. He was talking about owing the money to the government, owing your taxes to the government. So he transitions and says, you owe the government taxes, but you owe the citizens love. You see that? So you may owe taxes to the government, but the only thing you owe to your fellow citizens is love. 
That is what your life should be defined as in relation to everyone else. You should be known as someone who loves people. When people think of you, when people bring your remembrance to the forefronts of their minds, are they going to think of love? Are they going to think that person is a person of love? That person is someone who loves me and others, right? So Paul is saying we owe that to people. What does that mean? We have an obligation. We have a responsibility to love other people. It's not simply that would be really nice if Christians love people. That would be kind of cool if Christians actually loved people. No, we owe this. We have this obligation. We have this responsibility to love other people. And why is that? How is that? It's because as, as a human being, right, all of us, we are made in what? God's image, right? And being made in the image of God, that means you're supposed to point to God. You're supposed to reflect God, right? That's, that's your purpose. That is your destiny. The will of God for your life is that you would image him, that you would glorify him. In all things, you are supposed to image God. And we have a God of love, We have a God who is love. He exists as one God in three persons, right? So he was, God exists in a loving relationship. He is love. So if we are going to fulfill our destiny, our purpose as human beings in the world, we need to reflect God's love. We are obligated to do that. We have to be people of love if we are going to reflect God's character in this world. So that's Paul's command for us. You have to love one another. And he's already talked about love in Romans 12. He's already talked about it um, throughout Romans. And we know because of that, he's not just talking about believers here. He's not just saying, love your friends. It's really easy to love your friends. Well, sometimes. It's really easy to maybe love the people that are just like you or that make you feel good. Paul is saying we need to love everyone, really, because he's talking about unbelievers and believers here, enemies and friends, Christians and non-Christians. So that's the command. And every day, uh, a Christian who is committed to, to Jesus in, in their everyday life, totally dedicated to him, will love other people. But Paul doesn't leave us there. He gives us a reason. He gives us a reason. And the reason he gives is in the second half of that first verse. He says that the love, that love has fulfilled the law. Now, there's a lot of reasons Paul can give for loving people. But he chooses this one very specifically. And we're not going to really understand it unless we know what the law is. What does he mean by law? Is he talking about the speed limit? No. Right? Even Pastor Bobby talked about this this morning. When Paul uses the word law or references the law, what is he usually referencing? Anyone paying attention this morning? It's the Mosaic law. Anyone remember that part? No? No? Okay, fine. That's probably one of those nerdy things I picked up on. But when Paul is talking about the law throughout Scripture, and we even talked about this a little bit when we were going through and soaping Galatians in midweek, when Paul talks about the law, he's talking about the Mosaic law or the Torah. So what is the Torah? What is the law? Anyone know? The law is the instruction that God gave the teaching instruction that God gave to the Israelites at the covenant for the covenant at Mount Sinai. We just went over this in middle school Sunday school. So God leads his people, God leads his people out of Egypt 
And he brings them to Mount Sinai and he, he starts to initiate a covenant with them. A covenant is a partnership. It's something that um, involves two parties coming together, agreeing to a set of terms to have a relationship. So what God says is, I'm going to make a covenant with you, Israel. And he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a mighty nation. I'm going to make you have a great name. But the terms of the covenant are that you obey this law. And he gives them the law. Now, it's got a lot of list of rules. It's got a lot of things that they need to do. But you have to understand, as a, as a Jew, they understood then that law as the way and the means for them to have a, a right standing with God. They understood that it was through the law that they would be righteous. It was through obeying the law that they would be in a right covenant with God. And also, they understood, the Jewish understood, that um, obeying the law was a way for, for them to reflect God's character in the world. Okay, so hang with me here, okay? When God initiated a covenant relationship with Israel, what did he say? He said to Abraham that he's going to make him a blessing to all nations. So he's going to use Abraham as a vessel, as a conduit, as a mediator, as a priest, so that he can pour himself into all nations, right? So Israel being in a covenant with God was not about Israel, it was about the nations. It was about the world. So Israel obeying the covenant, Israel obeying the Torah and the law, was not about their obedience, their righteousness. It was about their mission. You understand me here? Their mission in the world was tied to them keeping the Torah and keeping the law. So they understood that if they wanted to be effective in their mission in the world and reflecting God in the world... They had to obey the law and obey the, ter- and, and obey the terms of the covenant. So what Paul is saying here, what Paul is saying is that love fulfills that. What the law was supposed to do when, in regards to giving us obedience to be in a right standing with God, what the law was supposed to do in regards to reflecting God's character in the world and equipping us for mission, love fulfills that. Love accomplishes those things. It's not through the law. It's through love. So this is really the the crux of it. This is the center of what Paul's saying. Christians should only love each other because by loving each other, the Christian is fulfilling God's purpose for his people to reflect his character in the world. Christians should love one another because by loving one another, you're fulfilling God's purpose for your life to reflect him, a loving God, to the world. Does that make sense? That's why Paul's reason here is a good argument. That's why it makes sense. So the heart of everything we're supposed to be and do as Christians is to love one another, is to love one another. So Paul does not leave it there. He also gives some proof. He gives some proof for why that's the case. He says, love fulfills the law, and then he's going to demonstrate how that happens. He's going to demonstrate how the how love actually fulfills the law. So he goes on to say in verses, verses 9 through 10, he says, the commandments, you know, the ones you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, any other commandment is summed up by this. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, in love, you are fulfilling the law. So you see what he's proving there? He's proving that love fulfills all of what these commandments are getting at. If, if you truly love your neighbor, think about it, you're not going to steal from them. If you truly love your neighbor, you're not going to murder them. If you truly love your neighbor, you're not going to commit adultery with your neighbor's wife or husband. So what Paul is saying is all of these commandments, they're summarized, they're summarized and fulfilled by love. So really what Paul's doing, Paul is diving deep and he's saying, at the heart of your heart, at the very root of all that you are, if you have love, you will fulfill the law. You will fulfill God's purpose and God's obedience for your life. So all of our obedience and kindness towards our neighbor will fall into place if deep down in our heart we have a genuine and sincere love. So what we do, Paul is showing, is not simply by knowing the commands. You simply knowing the command and the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do will not determine what you do. What determines what you're going to do is what you love. What do you love? What does your heart long for? What do you desire? What affections do you have in your heart? And that will determine what you do. So that's what Paul's showing here. So that's, that's what he's taught. Okay? He's taught that you should love one another. You should do this because love fulfills the law. And then he proves that to us by showing that every commandment is summarized by loving your neighbor. Jesus made the same type of argument to the Pharisees when, when they came up to him in Matthew 22. A Pharisee tries to give a quiz to Jesus, which, spoiler alert, not a good idea, right? Trying to like put a zinger past Jesus was probably one of the most embarrassing things that ever happened to this Pharisee. But he goes up to Jesus and he says, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he says, the second one is like that. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, all of the law and prophets hang on those two commandments. Whether you love God and love others will determine whether or not you are in a right standing with God or, or you're equipped to live on mission. Same argument that Jesus made, Paul's making here. So I, I want to make four clarifications for you, and then I want to go into the application, okay? Let's get, make sure this is landing in your world and in your life. Number one, Paul doesn't mention the command to love God, but he's assuming it here, right? Paul is familiar with, uh, with the fact that you cannot love others well without loving God, right? Paul is not saying that the only responsibility a Christian has is to love other people, right? Because you can never love other people without loving God. The whole first part of Romans is really talking of, is stirring our hearts to love God because of what he's done in the gospel. So although Paul doesn't mention loving God here, he assumes it, and it's necessary to understand. We'll talk about that more. Number two, and I think this is important for, for us, love is not anti-law. Love is not anti-law. It is deeper than the law. It is deeper than the law. A lot of times when we think of the um, kind of uh, the battle against legalism, right? We think rules are a bad thing. We start thinking that rules and boundary lines and commands and the law are bad things. But no, the, God gave the law 
out of his love and his care and concern for his people. Your parents, in the same way, they give boundaries and rules and, and laws to you for your good. And love, loving your parents and responding and obeying those laws, does not mean that those laws are bad, okay? Just because love fulfills the law does not make the law unimportant or insignificant. Does that make sense? Number three, biblical love... Biblical love is not mere politeness or kindness towards others. Okay, when Paul talks about loving other people, he's not simply talking about being nice to them, being polite, or just being kind, or giving a friendly handshake in the hall. Paul is talking about a deep, deep love, right? Paul knows that biblical love can hurt people's feelings. Biblical love can tell people that they're wrong. Biblical love can lead people into temporary suffering. So don't hear me by saying you need to love everybody, that you just need to be a nice and polite person. When Paul is saying love people, he is talking about this type of love. Number four, the essence of love concerns pointing people to the God of love. The most loving thing you can do is point people, direct people to God. God is love. He's the source of all love and goodness. The most loving thing God does to us is reveal himself to us and bring us into a relationship with him. And because of that, the most loving thing you can do for your friend, for your family member, for, for your enemies, is show them God. Point them to God. Direct them to be in a relationship with, with God, who is love. It's the most loving thing you can do. You can go out and do all the service projects you want, right? We can pack um, 100 million shoeboxes for kids with Operation Christmas Child. That is not the most loving thing that we can do. It's sharing the gospel. It's living the gospel, right? So that's really, really important. So with all these things in mind, knowing that Paul has called us to love, Paul has called us to be people who show that we love Jesus and should then love others, how should we apply that to our lives? How should you apply this to your life? I'm going to give you seven things, okay? Seven things, not a formula, but this is, this is the direction you should go if you want to continue to live in obedience to what, what, God, uh, what Paul and God have commanded in this passage. Number one, know and cherish the love of God. You cannot love other people well if you do not have a personal experience and encounter with the love of God, if you do not know the love of God and he ha- that he has for you, you're not going to love other people well. You're not. Listen, God loved us in this, that while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies, while we were rejecting him, while we were saying, my way is better than your way, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life on our account. So that when he died, he didn't die for his sins, he died for our sins. And that in dying for our sins, we get to live in his righteousness. That's how God loved us, through sacrificial giving and salvation. And if you can't have the encounter with God, if you don't have the encounter with God's love, you're not going to be able to love other people well. And listen, here's, here's the thing, guys. It's very, very easy for us to convince ourselves God doesn't love us. It's very, very easy to convince ourselves and that we're not good enough for God's love. 
It's hard to live in the freedom of God's love every day. This is why you have to preach the gospel to yourself. Because if you rely on your feelings, if you rely on your emotions, if you rely on K-Love Radio to tell you that God loves you, although they do it a lot, if you rely on other people and your own feelings to, to know that God loves you, you're not only going to fail in, in your mission and in your obedience, but you're going to live a, a life, a sorrowful Christian life. That's why you have to ground God's love for you, not in a feeling or an emotion. You need to ground it in the gospel truth. You need to preach the gospel to yourself every morning, every day. You need to, need to know that even, even though you're jacked up and you're broken and you're not where you need to be, God knows that and he still sent Jesus to die for you and to live for you. So preach the gospel to yourself and know that your identity is in that love. You can't shake it. You cannot shake the love of God from your life if you're in Christ. So next, if this thing works, feel the calling as a Christian to obey God and reflect his character in the world. Right? You know God loves you. You know he sent his son Jesus Christ to, to die for you and to call you to a life of obedience. Right? But you are not supposed to, as a Christian, simply be a sideline Christian. God didn't save you just so you know that he saved you. God saved you so that he could take up residence in you through the Holy Spirit, change you, and unleash more and more of his glory into the world. God's got a bigger plan for your salvation than you. Your salvation's not about you. Your salvation's about the glory of God continuing in this world. He saved you to use you. He saved you to change you. And until you understand that your calling, that, that your salvation is a responsibility, a joyful responsibility, you'll never enter into this command of loving other people. You'll never, never think you have to love other people. It's easy to not love people, right? Unless you understand that God has put a calling on your life to obey him and to reflect his character in the world. That's what your life is all about. That's what your destiny is, your purpose is. You gotta know that. Number three, realize that your obedience and your mission is deeper, listen to me, it's deeper than what you do. It's deeper than what you do and it's more concerned with what you love. Listen, any of us can sit in a room and listen to a sermon, sing some karaoke to Christian songs for, for 15 minutes, right? Take notes. We can even do our Bible study every day. But obedience and the mission of God is more concerned with what's going on in your heart and what you love than it is with what you do. Now, it's obviously concerned with what you do. That's why God gives commands. Paul's giving a command here for us to do something. But it's deeper than what you do. It's more concerned with your heart. See, we have a tendency to believe that what we think is who we are. That just because we think God did this, I, I made this decision, that that defines you. But you do things that you think are wrong all the time, right? Has anyone ever tried to be on a diet? You guys are students, but, right? Or, you know, you've tried to get better in your spiritual life by reading your Bible every day. Does everyone believe they should read their Bible every day? Fairly, most enjoyable. Most majority, right? But you don't do that, right? You don't do what you think is right all the time. You know why? 
Because your heart loves something more than what you think it loves. Your heart loves, loves comfort and satisfaction more than it loves reading the Bible. I, I'm speaking of myself too. My, my heart might love my comfort in my bed more than it loves getting up and, and praying and reading my Bible. Right? That's, that's not because I've got the wrong thinking. It's because my heart is in the wrong place. You understand? So we have this tendency to think that we are what we think, but we really are what we love. You are what you love. So our heart is actually our engine and our compass. Our heart will propel us towards what we want, and it will point us towards what we want. That's all wrapped up in our heart. It is our engine and our compass. It propels us and points us. You can go on every mission trip. You can participate in every service project. You can be in this room every Sunday night, even when it's canceled, because you're that good of a Christian. You're sitting here worshiping alone, right? You can do all of these things. You can do, 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 do. And yet, you can do, do. That's, that's, you can do all these things. Listen to me. You can do all these things, but yet your heart be so, so far from God. You can do all these things, and yet the week you're out of high school and in college, you're just chasing after every thrill. You're chasing after whatever fills that black hole in your heart. Because it's not about what you do. It's deeper than that. It's about your heart. It's about what you love. So number four. Do an honest assessment of your heart and identify your loves. Do an honest assessment of your heart and identify your loves. So I did, um, this, there's a book, a really good book, uh, that I took Samuel and Connor through, halfway through, because we stopped. Someone lost their book. I won't name which one person, but uh, <laughs> it was not Samuel. Um, but it was a book by James K. Smith, and the whole premise was you are what you love, right? And that your heart is really directing and guiding you to do the things that you're doing, and that your heart can actually be trained through habits. And um, so it goes on from there. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But one of the key parts of the opening chapters was you may not think you love what you think you love, and doing an honest self-assessment. You know what I mean by that, a self-assessment? Asking yourself questions making sure that you actually know yourself a little better than you do, asking yourself these questions will be, is a good practice for you. And these, they're questions like, what do I want? Really, you sit, you sit there and you just ask, what do I want in life? What is my ultimate love? What is my ultimate love? Right? Is it, is it really God and His glory being dispersed through this world, to every man, woman, and child that has contact to the gospel and me being a part of that. Is that really my ultimate love? Or is my, my wants and my love really geared to just my own comfort, to entertainment, to just being comfortable, to making money, to being successful, to being notable, to being popular, anything? What do I really want? And being honest don't play any games. Don't do any, you know, no one's going to read this but you. But what do I really want? Ask yourself that question. And then another, another question you can kind of go further in the process. 
what does it look like? What would it look like if all of my deepest desires were fulfilled? What would it look like if I got everything that I wanted? What kind of world am I building? Right? What kind of kingdom am I constructing if I get all of my wants? And all? What would my life look like if I got everything I wanted? And then what do my habits say about what I love? What do I spend my, my time doing? What, am I, what do I wake up and habitually do? Is anyone in here um, charge your cell phone next to your bed? Right, yep, yep. I do that as well. We've, I think one night I was like, I'm not going to do this. I went and charged in the kitchen, and the next night I was like, well, I need an alarm, and, and it's back to by my bed. But we need to change that. Stuff remind me of that. Um, but the first thing I do in the morning, out of pure habit, and I'm sure it's most like you, it's just like, ugh, roll over and sitting on top of my Bible, grab the phone, and right? Out of the habit of my heart, I've just been conditioned to just check the status, check the, the notifications, check the email. There's usually like only one or two messages. I'm not super popular or anything. But that's, I've, I've, condi- I've been conditioned to create that habit because of my love for distraction, my, my love for always being entertained or in the know right? There are loves that are governing and creating habits in my life that I'm not realizing. So what, what habits exist in your life, and what do those things show you about what you truly love? Do an assessment of that. Do an honest self-assessment of that. And carry on from there. So it's, listen, your deepest desire is the one manifested, shown, demonstrated through your daily life and habits. Your deepest desire is not simply how you answer what do you believe. Your deepest desire is going to be shown through your daily habits, what you do every day. It's really, really, really easy to fool ourselves into thinking that we love God and love others simply because we attend church, post pictures on our Instagram, right? We know all the right answers to the apologetics questions, or we, it's really easy to fool ourselves that we're Christians and we love God because we do it in our public life. But God looks at our hearts. He knows our hearts. He knows really what we want. And he knows whether or not we're just using church, we're using him and the Bible to get what we want or if we truly just want him. Because here's the reality. A lot of us, We're just using church, we're using the Bible, we're using God to get what we really, really want in our heart. And that's just comfort, that's just stability, get through life, get our parents off our back so we can do what we really want. But God knows our hearts, he sees our hearts, and he wants to totally renovate the heart. So the next step, do that self-assessment. Maybe you come to the spot where you, you just need to love God more, which I'm sure you'll probably get there because most of us need to love God more. But then seek to train your heart to love God more and loving others will follow. You can actually train your heart. Your heart is trained through things. The same way your brain can be trained in things, right? Um, there's There's this cool study. The London, the taxi cab drivers in London, they have to know the maps and the roads so, 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 so super well. Like they have to memorize it. They don't I guess they don't use Google Maps. I don't know why, but they just have to memorize them. 
And they noticed, they did a study before and after they go through all these rigorous tests, and their brain actually changes, like the landscape of it. The actual size of it in different areas, it will change. And it will transform their brains because they're training it through this process, conditioning their brains to know all this material and then um, drive in this certain way. So the same way that your brain can be changed, your heart can be trained to love the right things. Your heart can be changed and trained to love the right things. And your heart is trained through two main things. It's through imitation and practice through imitation and practice. You're going to love the right things as you come into contact with, with other believers, other people in your life that love that thing. This is, I mean, this is the easiest thing to, to notice, right? You become like your friends who you spend the most time with. You become like who you spend the most time with. You love what the people in your small group and your friend group love. That's why community is so, so important, guys. We're not simply just like, oh, stay out of trouble, right? We're not just being like, oh, I, well, that one kid, you know, Johnny, he like gets my kid into trouble. I don't want him to hang out with him. No, because your friend group, who, who you're around and surrounded by, they're, they're, they're telling you through their life what you should love. They're training you to love the same thing. That's why it's so important to be in community, in deep community with other believers, because as, as you guys are all seeking to love God more, you're training one, one another up to love God more through that imitation. And the other thing is practice. These are what we call habits, spiritual disciplines, right? That's why we've hit on spiritual disciplines so hard for the past year. We want you guys to be in your word, to practice prayer and scripture reading and scripture studying, because not because we just want you to be super awesome at knowing the Bible and praying, but because your heart is being trained to love God more and more and more through that practice, through that habit, this sacred rhythm, your heart is, is at stake in those things. So really, really important that you continue to train your heart through imitation and practice. Find someone to follow who is following Christ. Find someone who's following Christ and follow them. Say, show me, show me what you, what you do. Show me how you live out your Christian life, and let me follow you. Practice rhythms and rituals that God has graciously given us to recalibrate our hearts through scripture reading, through prayer, through fasting, through serving, through coming here. This is a spiritual discipline, to come here on Sunday nights and to, to sing the gospel together, to hear the word preached, to, to stir up one another in love. That's a discipline. And as you love God more and more, as your heart is trained to love God more and more, you will love others better. The more and more that you love the God who has created us and the world and others and who has sent his son Jesus to not only die for you and to save you, but is unleashing you as a missionary in the world, the more you will love others. And then the practical things of build communal love with believers. Right? Once you love God and you're going to continually have that heart trained to love him, you're going to find yourself loving others. And that, that begins in this room. That begins with this family. That begins with the church. And listen, guys, it's, it's easier here than it is out there. It's easier to love your friends, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ than it is to love your enemies. 
So this is, this is almost a rehearsal room. <laughs> you, you get to practice the, the, tough, the tough thing that it is to be in relationships with other people. And you have to love in this room before you leave this room in love. So build communal love with one another. Like scripture calls us a family. These are your brothers and sisters in this room. Your, your relationship should be thicker than blood. It's, it's united not only in being related to one another, going to the same church. It's united in, in that you are one with Christ together. There's nothing that can separate that. You're going to be with each other for eternity, so you should probably enjoy being around one another. Okay? And then from that, share the love of God with unbelievers. Share the love of God with unbelievers. This could be a whole nother sermon, right? We could go into all the different ways to share your faith. But here's, here's the only thing I'll have to say. It begins here. So don't share the love of God alone. Take your friends, take your family, take your community that you have and use that to share the love of God. Because scripture says the world will know that you're disciples of Jesus if you love one another. So by the world seeing how much you love each other, by the world seeing how much you love your brother and sister in Christ, they will see the love of God clearly. So don't do it alone. Preach it, but live it. Live the love of God. Sacrificially serve them in any way that you can. But here, that's all of the application, right? That's all what you can do, but it begins with your own heart, guys. Paul is giving us a command, and this command is just driving us deep down into our hearts. We need to really self-assess. Are we just playing church? Are we just here to spend time with friends? I mean, there's free food involved sometimes. Right? Are we just here because it's comfortable, because it's easy, because it gives us some sense of distraction from our brokenness?